0: Bench. this show contains graphic content that may be difficult for some listeners please listen with care I'm a big museum goer around 2006 I bought tickets for a touring show there was a lot of buzz about it and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about
1: It has become a runaway hit show. Human bodies, skinned, trimmed, and essentially pickled or cured in plastic.
0: The show was called Bodies, The Exhibition. When I walked in, I was taken aback. I was surrounded by bodies of once living, real people, but the fat and water in their bodies had been replaced with a synthetic material like silicone. They'd been turned into life-size anatomy models. Their stomachs, legs, heads flayed open. I could see their organs, veins, and in at least one model, a brain. The bodies were posed like they were having fun, kicking a soccer ball, doing a basketball layup. Their faces looked like they'd been shaped in various expressions, happy, focused, surprised. I couldn't help but look at their eyes. It was kind of fascinating, but also it didn't feel totally right, you know, to be presented with a formally living human in this way. So I left. Turns out a lot of people had the same reaction. This is from a report ABC did in 2008.
1: Rabbi Louis Feldstein says he was stunned.
2: We've always treated the dead with a certain element of respect, of dignity, And then all of a sudden we're putting them on
0: display. The organizer of the show was called Premier Exhibitions, based in Atlanta. And the chairman, Arnie Geller, seemed proud of how the show was bringing in millions of dollars.
1: You're making a good profit here. Uh, We're absolutely making a good profit, of course. But with the growing exposure and profits have come growing troubling questions about the bodies, where they come from, and how they are used.
0: The public had questions for Premier. Who were these people on display? How had they died? Did their families have any idea where they ended up? Like so many dealings in the body trade world, the origins of these bodies were mysterious. The company assured that the bodies had been acquired ethically. But then, the New York Attorney General investigated. And Premier admitted it didn't really know how these people had died or if they'd consented to have their bodies on display like that. But there was another company involved in the exhibit. And from what I could tell, that company didn't get much scrutiny at all. It was called American Plastination Company. It had plasticized some of the bodies. Not only do they sell human bodies online, but they also are a supplier for premier exhibitions and part of the worldwide cadaver network. As the bodies controversy faded, American Plastination continued to do business, buying bodies. And in 2013, the company began purchasing bodies from a new supplier very eager to sell. A small outfit based out in rural Colorado, it was Sunset Mesa Funeral Home, owned and run by Megan Hess. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, Body Brokers. Episode six, The Results.
2: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
0: By the spring of 2018, FBI investigators and many in Montrose suspected that Megan Hess had been running a body brokerage out of her funeral home. The families who trusted Sunset Mesa They never had a clue. Working on the case was FBI agent Paul Johnson, who'd helped execute the search warrant of Sunset Mesa you heard about in the last episode.
2: At this point, the case had been opened by the Denver field office. So I was assisting them and I did help review the death certificate records and The numbers of death certificates marked cremation didn't seem to match with the numbers of body parts that would have been going out the door. So if if everyone's marked as cremated and not donated, where are the donors coming from?
0: The FBI wasn't the only agency looking into Sunset Mesa. After years of receiving complaints about the funeral home, the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies took action. The department that monitors funeral homes says they are also investigating that business. The Montrose County coroner has also removed Sunset Mesa from on-call rotation, meaning they will not be able to receive- Less than a week after the FBI raid, the state suspended Megan's business license and shut Sunset Mesa down. As all this news was coming out, Charlotte Downing was watching in disbelief. She's the grandmother who'd done PR for Sunset Mesa several years earlier. I didn't know how to talk about it.
1: I didn't know how to say I was an employee of hers for several years and I had no clue. I had friends that I had convinced to go to Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors with their loved ones. How do you face them? You certainly don't want to admit, oh, hi, I'm the one that talked you into that. That's just not, I could not do that. And I had a real hard time with that. So my
0: solution was, hi. But it wasn't just her friends Charlotte had referred to Sunset Mesa. There was someone else, someone very dear to her, her father, Bob. He died of cancer back when Charlotte was still working for Megan. For his cremation, Sunset Mesa had been the natural choice. When
1: it came time, Megan sounded so sympathetic, so empathetic. I understand your loss. I know you were hurting, but we'll treat him like our own family with great respect, and we're going to take such good care of him.
0: Sunset Mesa did the cremation, and then she'd scattered her dad's ashes at his favorite camping spot. She kept some in her home, too, in a mason jar. Now, though, all these rumors were flying around Montrose, like that people had gotten back kitty litter or cement dust instead of ashes. It's one thing to comprehend that other people were victims, but the mere thought of her own father being a victim of Megan, Charla, she was in denial. So I was
1: not terribly concerned about my dad
0: because how could she do that to my dad? <laughs> She told her husband she didn't even want to know. But not long after the FBI raid, Charla's phone rang. When I was called by the victim's advocate from
1: uh, the FBI, she explained why she was calling and she said, your name has shown up. Would you like to have the cremains tested?
0: The woman with the FBI was so nice and convincing. And look, Charla is a persuadable person.
1: I said, why sure I would. I don't know why I said that.
2: What we were looking at and what people were having tested with the cremains was to see, first of all, were they even bone?
0: During his search of Sunset Mesa, Agent Johnson had left the main building and walked out back to the crematory. There, he'd seen buckets of concrete mix and ash, and in one bucket, a scoop. That really alarmed him. He'd seen that before. In another case a broker had a similar-looking bucket and scoop. It ended up that he'd been mixing a bunch of people's ashes together. So the FBI needed to know, did Megan Hess do the same thing? The FBI asked families to bring in what Megan had given them, the Bureau tested some of the ashes in its own lab, but because there were so many containers of ashes to analyze, a forensics team at Colorado Mesa University was brought in to help. Testing wouldn't identify whose specific ashes they were, but it would show whether the stuff Megan gave families was human or something else. Were they? cremated
2: remains, or were they something else, like quick breed or kitty litter or something else that looks very similar to cremated remains? That was the first
0: question. After Charlotte had that phone call with the FBI representative, on a scorching July day, she and her husband drove an hour north from Montrose to the university. They walked up the steps of the school. It was just the
1: eeriest
0: experience to go through. The campus was weirdly quiet. Classes were out for the summer.
1: And so you're in this hall that, if you're not wearing tennis shoes, and I was not, you clunk every step you take. So, and it echoes. Because there's no one around. There's no one else in the building. You finally get up to where you're going and you're a little jittery anyway. And they take you back to this room after you register. And they put little snacks and water and chairs and that kind of thing. And So I went in and, you know, you'll be called, okay, fine and sat down and, and you're very, very self-conscious. There's other people and nobody is saying anything. And you play like you're looking at your cell phone and you're actually looking right above the cell phone to other people, you know, so, what are they doing? How are they handling this?
0: Charlotte had brought her dad's ashes in the mason jar in a plastic grocery bag.
1: I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing beautiful urns sitting next to people or a beautiful carved box or even a shipping box and little by little I keep reaching behind me and shoving that mason jar in the city market bag further behind my back because I don't see anyone else there with their cremains in a grocery bag (laughs) or a mason jar (laughs) and it's so funny because all of a sudden you're realizing you know you're kind of weird charlotte (laughs) looked over there was a little girl I thought she was probably in high school and the tears she was not sobbing she was not making any noise but the tears kept coming down her face and there was a boy next to her and he kept giving her tissues and I kept wondering if I should go over and talk to them but like this room was just nobody was making a noise except for sniffles
0: Eventually, Sharla was called back to speak with Johnson's Colorado-based counterpart, FBI agent John Bush. She told him everything about how her job at Sunset Mesa was to visit hospices and nursing homes, talk about how great body donation was, that it would lead to cures for devastating diseases, help the blind to see, allow the disabled to walk. Bush had two laptops next to him that Charla really hadn't been paying attention to. And we got to this point
1: and he looked at me, looked up, and he said, if you had the opportunity to know what happened to your dad, would you like to know? I don't remember thinking about it. I just said yes. And what he did was reach over to the other computer screen and type something into it. And he looked back at me and said, at least two of your dad's body parts were cut up and sold. I have no memory
0: of what was next. When Charla was able to focus, Agent Bush asked if she wanted to know any more of the details. And
1: that time I got the answer right and I said, no, no.
0: I don't want to know, no. Charla, the woman who always had something to say, who always had a cheery word for someone, was speechless. Charla wasn't just a client. She had known Megan personally, and so had her father. I was her friend. I helped with her baby shower. I had done this and that.
1: Dad had supported her. Dad had given her gifts. Dad had done this and that. She told me we would treat him like our own family, and I found out later. She had cut him up and mailed him off before my mother and I ever got there to make arrangements.
0: All those intimate moments Charlotte had with Megan suddenly looked a lot different. Um, She pushed all the right buttons. She was a master
1: manipulator. And I look back and I see all the times she lied that I know of. So yeah, I I believe,
0: I don't believe anything she said. Charlotte had a long path ahead. She'd have to face the people of Montrose and process her own guilt for having worked for Megan. But when I see her the most heartbroken and angry is when she recalls that young couple from the waiting room at the college, the woman who'd been crying silently while the man offered her tissues. After Charla finished talking to Agent Bush, she looked around for the couple. She found them outside, sitting on a curb.
1: And I thought, okay, I think, I think I'm think i getting the message clear enough now that I should
0: go. Charlotte walked over to the young woman and asked why she was there. The woman said her mother had died less than a year before.
1: That poor girl has not even began to grieve of the unexpected loss of her mother, and now she has this? I couldn't make it go away for them. I couldn't even explain why in heaven's name someone would do something so horrendous after she promised them that she would take care of them and treat them with dignity and respect. How do you do that? This is what she did to people. And I'm sure that scene was repeated hundreds of times. I just happened to see this one. And to this day, I see her in that room and on the curb.
0: Around the time Charla was just beginning to grapple with Megan's betrayal, another Sunset Mesa client decided to have some ashes tested too. Julie Glenn, the real estate agent from Durango, she was ready to learn what had really happened to her brother.
3: I needed to have these tested for my brother, for his sake. I can't tell you why. I just knew that I had to know. And I'll tell you, Ashley, hindsight, I shouldn't have done it.
0: When Julie and her husband, Sean, arrived at Colorado Macy University, she felt nauseous. And I just, I just could not believe what I was seeing, first of all. So many people holding urns that, until recently, they thought contained their loved ones. Staff were gingerly taking the urns and labeling them. Julie handed over her brother's urn, and she was ushered into a waiting room.
3: We dropped ours off, and they put us in this uh, room, like a lobby area. None of us really spoke to each other because we all didn't know. We all didn't know
0: what was happening. Everyone was waiting, but unsure exactly what it is they were waiting for. Eventually, Julie was called back to another room. They waited. And finally, in walked Agent John Bush. He says, uh, Julie, how can I help you? And
3: I just looked at Sean and he said, well, can you tell us for a fact that you know that Michael was a victim or not? And he opened up his laptop and he said, "Julie, what's your brother's name?" And I said, "Michael Allen Good." And he typed it in. And he said, "We believe your brother was was definitely a victim, of Megan Hess dismembering some of his body parts and selling them." And I I just looked at him and I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, uh, "Julie, it looks to me like she uh, sold his head." And his shoulders and arms in his legs. And I don't know if I could say this on your podcast, but I said, his fucking head, John. I was just sick. I, I just felt sick. How do you even react to that? I mean, this is the kind of shit that happens on TV that people make movies of. And I'm sitting right here, and my very own brother has been... Chopped up and sold without my permission, without me even knowing it.
0: Afterward, Julie sat in her car and sobbed. Unlock all episodes of Cover Up, Body Brokers, ad-free right now by subscribing to the Binge Podcast channel. Not only will you immediately unlock all episodes of this show, but you'll get binge access to an entire network of other great true crime and investigative podcasts, all ad-free. Plus, on the first of every month, subscribers get a binge drop of a brand new series that's all episodes, all at once. Unlock your listening now by clicking subscribe at the top of the cover-up show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. The university forensics team ultimately took 128 samples of ashes in for testing. They found bits of bone in every sample. This implied that the remains were human, But it couldn't prove whether families had gotten their person. The FBI, though, was able to get even more definitive answers. Through interviews and other evidence, agents proved that Megan and Shirley were routinely mixing the remains of various people and giving that to families. So then the question became, where had the bodies gone? The families of Megan's victims were now dealing with an otherworldly form of grief. It was up to each one how much information they could take. Understandably, some victims like Sharla said, no, I don't want to know anymore. But others, like Julie, needed to know. The FBI would ultimately find that Megan sold body parts to at least five companies around the U.S., But those companies wouldn't face charges. Investigators determined them to be victims of Megan and Shirley's fraud. Surely these companies had a process for making sure the bodies they were buying weren't stolen. I had their names... So I started calling.
3: The number you've dialed
0: is not in service. Okay. Moving on. This is Sandy. How may I direct your call? Uh, yes. Hi. Uh, this is Ashley Fonts. I'm a reporter. I'm actually calling to request an interview. Uh, I... I tried for months to get interviews with them. Either nobody picked up... The number you've dialed is not in service. The
3: tone. Please record your message.
0: Or I got what felt like the runaround. The... So- Email on their website doesn't work. No one seems to be picking up. Um,
2: I really have no information on
0: them. Mm, I I have
2: no dealings with them. I don't have. that. Let me see. Let me just check real quick. Mm -hmm.
0: Two companies did respond to me, though, through reps and declined interviews. There was one company in particular I really wanted to know more about. American Plastination Company, the same company that turned bodies into plastic for that bodies museum exhibit. After talking to someone with knowledge of the case, Julie had learned that Megan Hess had sold her brother's head to American Plastination. Like Sunset Mesa, it's also a family-run operation. It was founded by a mechanical engineer named Daniel Corcoran, who worked with his relative, Monica Melton. Court papers show that between 2013 and 2017, Corcoran and Melton emailed back and forth with Megan. In 2015 alone, their company paid Megan nearly $75,000 for 41 bodies. I emailed, called, and sent certified letters to both of them, and I heard nothing. So I turned to FBI agent Paul Johnson. They answered his calls.
2: I went out there and I interviewed Corcoran and and his daughter. It's a very small company in rural Michigan, and he is more of a scientist-engineer. He helped to develop that plastination process.
0: American plastination is right in the middle of some Midwestern farmland, and the day-to-day there sounded like a macabre Santa's workshop.
2: They hired an, it seemed like a family that was working on all the, the plastinated body parts, like brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles were all in a room together when I went there and each had a different body part laid out on a table. You know, one might be cleaning off some residual plastic from an arm and you know another person is carefully painting arteries and veins on a display specimen that's going to be sold somewhere to a university and then we were walked through the plastination process you know the body gets stored in a giant tank and it's filled with acetone and it starts to remove the water and the body goes from tank to tank and then ultimately the body goes into a giant chamber where under high pressure These polymers are forced into the tissues, resulting in this plastination process.
0: After plastinating body parts, the company would post them on their website for sale. I clicked around on an archived version of the website and saw a catalog featuring plastinated hands, lungs, and brains. Once it plastinated Julie's brother's head, the company turned around and sold it to one of the most prestigious universities in the United States, Vanderbilt University in Tennessee, specifically Vanderbilt's psychology department. I thought at least Vanderbilt would answer my questions. This was a place of higher learning, the Harvard of the South.
1: You have reached the Office
0: of Strategic Communications at Vanderbilt University. Please listen to the following options before making your selection. If in- I wrote a long email to a Vanderbilt spokeswoman. I told her about Megan Hess and about what happened to Julie Glynn and her brother. I told her that I had confirmed Vanderbilt received a stolen head. For weeks, I got no response. Then the spokeswoman finally got back to me. Her email was short. We ultimately don't have anything to share or offer at this time. I was disgusted with Vanderbilt's response. I was frustrated to not get interviews with those companies. It spoke to the opaque world of body brokering. It seemed all too easy for some brokers to potentially traffic in stolen human bodies and up in people's lives. True to the world of body brokering, the bodies Megan stole and sold wound up all over the world, Turkey, Qatar, Antigua, Saudi Arabia. Once they went overseas, the bodies became nearly impossible to track. But according to the FBI, Megan Hess made a lot of money off selling bodies, half a million dollars.
2: Everyone in this industry profits. The companies that transport the bodies, the body donor companies and all of their employees, the shipping companies that transport the body parts, the medical end users and providers of surgical training facilities. They all make money. Everyone but the donors.
0: For decades, I've reported almost exclusively on stories about traumatized people, victims of sexual assault, homicides, mass shootings, conventionally what we think of as crime. But this... This is different. What Megan and Shirley did, it's so perverse that it's hard to categorize. I struggled to explain it to myself. Grief is all we have when someone dies. It's personal, and it should stay that way. But here, it was hijacked. How do you keep the memory of someone in a bright and loving and hopeful light when something so dark has been done to them, and, in effect, you. Truly, if if you start to feel uncomfortable at all, absolutely let me know. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. After she learned about what happened to her brother, Julie fell into a deep depression. She couldn't work, couldn't get off the couch. She had nightmares for more than a year. In one, she was sitting next to her brother's bed. I put my head down and then pick my head back up
3: to tell him I love him that he didn't have a head. And I started to get frantic. And I reached for his hand to try and find him. And his hand wasn't there. And I just keep going up the blanket, like, where's your hand? And his arm was gone. And I'd reach across him to reach for the other hand. And it was gone.
0: It was gone. And I'd wake up screaming. But here's the thing, a thing that makes everything more painful. The time that Julie is trapped in this waking nightmare, it was also a time when Shirley and Megan were walking around Montrose free. That's next time on Body Brokers like she was still out in the community, just living her life, driving around. When it first came down, I
3: defended her. It was like religious and politics. We don't talk about Megan Hess in the salon.
1: I mean, everybody was like, I hope you get served justice. You guys belong behind bars.
0: They had crucified her before she had even been charged. Cover Up, Body Brokers, is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. The show was reported and hosted by me, Ashley Fonts. Elizabeth Van Brocklin is the senior producer. The associate producers are Rachel Young and Callie Hitchcock. Field producers were Megan Burney and Monique Laborde. The editors were Emily Martinez, Matt Scher, and Anthony Puccillo. Sound design mix and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Fact-checking by Sarah Ivry. Recording by Jimmy Guthrie at Arcade 160 Studios in Atlanta. A special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed cover-up Body Brokers, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts.